Thank you, choir, for that beautiful hymn. And uh, as we begin our time of study together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for this beautiful Lord's Day, for the opportunity to fellowship together, uh, to pray together, to sing songs of praise to you, and to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, as we study from your word today, I pray that you would give us understanding. Lord, that you would give me strength to preach and clarity of word that I might build up these, your people, that they would walk in faithfulness and look forward to the day when you make all things new. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 again as we finish uh, this long series that I've had on uh, on delighting in the triune God. Over the last 10 months since I started here, we've been uh, looking at all of the ways that uh, we worship as God's people. And, and the point that I made at the very beginning is that we are made to find our delight in God. That the whole reason for our creation, the whole uh, purpose for our being is to find our delight and our rest in God. And St. Augustine said uh, that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. That we wonder and chase after all these different delights, all these different pleasures, and they all, ultimately they have no good end because we weren't made for those things. We were made to worship and delight in the one true and triune God. And so we've been through all of that. My original intent was to end in August, but because I felt like we hadn't addressed one one major last issue in the church or in the doctrine of worship, I felt like we needed to take the time to look at uh, what the end of worship is. Where are we going with our worship or where is this all going to end up? And so for the last two weeks, we, or the last week and a half, we've been looking at uh, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And last week, we talked about the, the judgment of the wicked and how those who have chased after their own delights, who have sought after these other gods and gone after other ways, their ultimate end is not delight. Their ultimate end is eternal punishment in the place that we call hell. Now, we need to look at the other side of this parable that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 25, as today we look at the reward of the righteous. So if the end of the wicked, those who delight in other things other than God, is eternal punishment in hell, what is the end that God has for the righteous? So let's begin by reading our passage from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. In starting in verse 31, God's word says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we not see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it, did not do it to, the, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So as I said last week, there are two ways in this world. There is the way of wickedness, the way of chasing your own delights that leads ultimately to death and eternal punishment. And there is the way of righteousness, which pursues the delight of God, that pursues to find our delights in the one true God. And that way leads to eternal life. So in just one verse of this parable, Jesus tells us a great deal about this final reward of God's people. So I want to dig into this passage today by answering the same questions that we asked last week when we were talking about hell. So I want to ask three questions about this eternal reward of the righteous. First, what is the reward of the righteous? Second, why are the righteous rewarded in this way? And lastly, who are the righteous? So to start with, what is the reward of of the righteous. So in verse 34, Jesus says, uh, he looks to his sheep that are on his right and he declares, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There are some key words here that tell us what this reward is. And I want to focus on two key words that Jesus uses here. First of all, notice that Jesus says that we will inherit this reward. Now, when you hear the word inherit, bells ought to be ringing. It ought to be reminding you of things that God has said and Jesus has said throughout his ministry. And then he says, he answers, uh, what is this that we're going to inherit? He says that we're going to inherit a kingdom that has been prepared for us. So again, when you hear the word kingdom, bells ought to be ringing. You ought to be thinking of a lot of things that Jesus has said. Now, I think when we read this passage, our natural interpretation of this is to call this inherited kingdom heaven. 
After all, we sing and we talk a great deal about going to heaven when we die. But heaven is not the final destination for God's people. Humans were not made for heaven. They were made for earth. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, God stoops down into the dirt and He forms man out of the dust. And now the beauty of that story in Genesis chapter 2 is kind of lost in translation for us. Because in the original language of Hebrew that the Genesis is written in, the word man is Adam. And the word for ground or dirt is Adama. So Adam, Adama. So if you were to read Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, where it says that God made man out of the dust of the ground, the Hebrew there says literally that God made Adam out of Adama. In God's perfect creation, we were not made to live in heaven, but to reign on earth. The Garden of Eden was a perfect temple garden where heaven, which is God's dwelling place, touched earth and he fellowshiped with his people in that garden. We find that too a little later in the story when God calls the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He rescues them out of Egypt and he saves them from slavery, but he doesn't save them from slavery to heaven. Instead, he marches them to a promised land. And this promised land that he marches them to, he says, it had vineyards that they did not plant, and it had fields that they did not sow. So get this, brothers and sisters, God had already prepared, again, bells going off, I hope, had already prepared a land for them. And God would give them in that land a tabernacle where he would descend and he would dwell with his people, where again, heaven and earth would touch. So the reward that the righteous will inherit is not some bodiless realm of clouds and rainbows and little baby angels floating around in the sky. The reward of the righteous is a new earth. To see this most clearly, turn with me to the end of the story, to Revelation chapter 21. Flip over there to Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to read the first seven verses of Revelation 21. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 7 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, 
Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage or inheritance, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So the picture of this final judgment and this final restoration of God is that God has made everything new. And in this new heaven and new earth, God dwells with his people. And heaven is, is pictured as this city that descends from heaven to earth and sits over all of the earth. And the redeemed of the Lord inherit a new and renewed earth that has no more sin, no more death, no more judgment, no more pain, no more suffering. We inherit this world as it was intended to be. So a lot of people ask me, Brother Nathan, what do you think heaven will be like? And, you know, I, I, I think it's a very easy thing to answer. Because on a day like today, I woke up this morning and, and looked out my window and it's a beautiful day and the, the sky is just as clear as it can be. Or if you were to go and you were to sit on a mountaintop and you were to overlook a, a beautiful sunset, what is one of your first reactions? This must be what heaven is like, right? That's what you tend to say. Well, the reason you say that is because that is what the final reward is like. That is what a glimpse of what the real beautiful creation that God intended it to be is like. And so it's not some otherworldly experience where we're just bodiless souls floating around in the ether. It is a real bodied existence where we enjoy the world as it should be. Free of sin, free of death, free of pain. So God, and the, and the most beautiful thing about this world, the greatest hope of this new earth is found in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. It says, notice there, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. When Christ judges the world, He will make all things new, and we will inherit a world that has been renewed. And the most beautiful thing about that is that the veil that now separates, or as Revelation calls it, the sea, that now separates the spiritual world from the physical world will be removed, and we will see God face to face. He will dwell personally and directly with His people. Second, we need to ask, why does God reward the righteous in this way? In this parable, Jesus uses another often misunderstood phrase. Notice in verse 46 of Matthew 25, he says that the righteous will go away to eternal life. Now, the way that we tend to understand that phrase is as if it is a future life with God in heaven. Yet that's not how Jesus uses the term eternal life. Jesus defines eternal life in this way in John chapter 17, verse 3. This 
is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now this same word, life, is used in John chapter 14, verse 6, in that famous verse that we all know when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. You see, brothers and sisters, eternal life is not a place. Eternal life is a person. Jesus, in His resurrection, unites us to Himself through His Holy Spirit. We have... As believers, we have eternal life right now as we live by the Spirit. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, I came that they might have, there's that word again, what? Life, and that they might have it abundantly. This is the reward that God will give to those who believe because this is the reason for which He created humanity. We were created to find our delight in God. In this world, people despair because they have no direction in life. They feel like life is without purpose. Yet when they turn to Christ, He brings us life. The whole of our lives is filled with purpose and calling because of Him. And we know where our true home is. And the ultimate realization of that is found when God will dwell with us in the new heavens and the new earth. God will reward us with Himself because we were made for Him and we find our rest in Him. So lastly, we need to ask, who are the righteous that will inherit this reward? Jesus gives that answer in three parts. First of all, Notice again verse 33. Notice that he tells us in verse 33 that those who will inherit eternal life are his sheep. Now we talked about that last week and the way that Jesus in this story is separating the sheep from the goats. Those who were chosen of God from those who were the wicked. And the sheep are symbolic of those who are chosen by God. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were called sheep after God, of God. And in the New Testament, the sheep are marked out as those who listen to and who follow Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So those who will inherit eternal life are those who recognize the voice of Jesus and follow him. Jesus also tells us, uh, tells us who these righteous are in verse 34 when he turns to them and he calls them blessed. He says, enter the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And he calls them blessed. This word has great significance throughout the the Scriptures. In fact, if you read the Scriptures for any length of time, you're going to find this word blessed used over and over again. To be blessed by God is to be given life. That's pretty much what the word means, to be prospered or to be uh, given life-giving power. 
In Genesis chapter 1, God blesses his creation, and as a result of his blessing, they are enabled to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In the promised land, when God blessed the people of Israel, the land would prosper. So to be blessed is to have the life-giving favor of God. So who is it that is blessed by God? Who is it that has God's favor? Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In other words, just as Abraham was blessed by God by trusting in his promises, so too we are blessed when we trust in the promises that God has made in Jesus Christ. Finally, in verses 35 through 40, Jesus lists all these good deeds that the righteous have done. Now, when we read that section of this story, we might think, aha, I can work my way to heaven by doing good deeds. I can earn my place in heaven by caring for the poor and the naked and the imprisoned. And and I can stack up enough good deeds that when I get there, like bars of gold. And when I get to heaven, I can say when and God asks, how why should I let you into my heaven? I can say, well, look at all this treasure I've stored up. That's why you should let me into heaven. But to read it that way would, to, would miss the point of what Jesus is saying. Notice, Jesus sets up these good deeds as evidence of who his sheep are, not the grounds for, who, for their salvation. He says they are sheep, in verse 34, or 35, it's evident that they are sheep because they did these things. His sheep were already sheep through faith. And the outgrowth of their faith is seen in the way that they care for the least of these. And we know this because if you look down in verse 38, notice what the righteous ask. After Jesus has gone through this litany of good deeds that they've done, they ask not, well, sure, thank you, Jesus. Glad you noticed that. What do they say? When? Did we do these things? They don't even recognize the fact that they had been doing the right thing all along. You see, the righteous are different from the wicked in this one way. The wicked thought that they deserved the kingdom because they had done all the right things on the outside, but they had none of the heart. The righteous, on the other hand, did the things of God without the first thought of what they were doing. They were motivated by a heart that delighted in God. They were motivated by their worship and they thought nothing of the deeds that they had done. Friend, heaven cannot be gained by stacking up enough good deeds to earn it. The wicked on the day of judgment will think that they have earned it and they will be sorely disappointed. The righteous, on the other hand, will enter because they trusted in the promises of God and followed after Jesus Christ. Won't you trust in Christ today that you might have eternal life that God has prepared for you? Brothers and sisters, 
The great hope of our reward is that we will see Jesus face to face. Our modern world has distorted heaven to the point that we might be tempted to hope on lesser things. We might be tempted to hope on the ancillary benefits, the peripheral benefits of heaven, rather than to hope for the real thing that heaven and, and the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth are for. We might dream of our mansion instead of longing to be in the house of God. We might hope for reunions with family and friends rather than being joined together with our loved ones and with all of those who have ever trusted in Jesus Christ in joyous praise to the God of the universe. I heard a a famous television preacher one time say that I don't care. You know, I hear people talk about the streets of gold and the mansions that we'll have in heaven. And he said, you know, I don't care about any of that. I would be satisfied with a, with a hut on a mud street if it meant that I got to be with Jesus. And that is the right attitude. That what we inherit in this new heaven and new earth is our delight in Him. May we learn to long for that day when we will see Jesus. May we live in light of the eternal life that He has given us. And may we live to find our delight in God. May we look forward to the full delight that we will know in receiving the inheritance that He has prepared for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word that teaches us the hope that we have. And Lord, though we might chase after other delights, though we might find, try to find our delights in uh, the ways of this world, whether it be worldly pleasures or power or success or whatever it might be, Lord, ultimately, all of those things are vapor. They are all vanity of vanities. But you have created us for yourself. Father, may we long for the day when we see you face to face when the veil that separates the spiritual from the physical is is no more, when the sea is no more, and when we walk with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Until that day, Lord, through your Spirit, keep us in this eternal life. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.